we start the meditation with goodwill. A wish for our own true happiness, and a wish that other beings will be happy too. And then we continue the meditation by focusing on the breath. They give ourselves a good place to stay settled in the present moment. Where you can be here with a sense of well-being. We're not just watching the breath willy-nilly, we're trying to direct it. As the Buddha said, we try to consciously breathe in and out so as to give rise to a feeling of refreshment. Breathe in and out so as to give rise to a feeling of pleasure and ease. So ask yourself, what kind of breath would be pleasurable? What kind of breath would be refreshing? And one of the reasons we do these practices is because, as our chant says, we are the owners of our actions. We're responsible for what we do. And so we want to come from a good place. One, having good intentions for all beings. And secondly, giving ourselves the strength and clarity inside to see what would be for our own good, our own well-being and that of others. And once we see it, having the strength to do it. Because sometimes we can see what would be good, but we don't have the strength. Sometimes we can't even see what would be harmless all around. Which means that we can't really trust ourselves, because our lives are shaped by our actions. And if we can't trust ourselves to shape our actions well, then we're in trouble. Because this is the area that we really are responsible for. When we wish well for all beings, the one metta version is, may, be, may I be happy. The version here is, may I abide in well-being. May everyone abide in well-being. I remember years back, I was talking with one of the nuns from Amaravati about our translations, and she wanted to know, well, how do you translate this? And so I said, Aung Sukhita Homi, may I be happy. And she started laughing so hard she almost fell out of her chair. May I abide in well-being sounds more formal. And then we go on to may all beings be happy, may, all, may everyone abide in well-being. Well, will everybody abide in well-being? Will everybody be happy? Probably not. But we want to make sure that that's our wish. That should be our motivation. This is why goodwill also has to be backed up by equanimity, realizing that all beings are the owners of their actions. Whatever they do, for good or for evil, to that will they fall heir. That's the truth of the matter. Goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, these are wishes. May, may, may. And equanimity is a statement of fact. Last year I was in France and looked at their chanting book. For some reason they had chanted, May all beings be happy, may all beings be free from suffering, may all beings not lose the good fortune that which they have attained. May all beings be the owners of their actions, which sounds like a curse. <laughs> so I pointed out to him, no, it's not, it's not may, it's, this is the way things are. And we have to accept that. 
There are certain things that simply would be good to happen, but simply will not happen. But we have to look at what we're responsible for. We're responsible for our actions and the actions that we try to get other people to do. So we want to make sure that that part of our reality is skillful. As for what lies beyond that ability, we have to treat that with equanimity. Not that we're going to be callous or indifferent, but simply we realize that we have to we have a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of time in this lifetime. We have to focus our energy on areas where we can make a good difference. And that starts with our actions. And this, again, this is why we train the mind. So that we think of doing something, or think of saying something, or even think of thinking something. We're coming from a good place, from a place of inner security, knowing that our true possessions cannot be taken away by anyone else. In other words, all these what they call noble treasures. Sometimes you hear the idea that we should not be practicing for the sake of anything, not to, not to be practicing for the sake of acquiring anything. But the Buddha quite freely talked about investing your time, using the language of financial transactions. And what's the best use of our time? Well, developing good qualities in mind. Those are your own inner treasures. Virtue, conviction in the principle of action, conviction in the principles of the Buddha's awakening, a sense of shame at the idea of doing something unskillful. This kind of shame is not the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of shamelessness. You would be ashamed to do something that you know would be harmful. You would realize that it's beneath you. A sense of compunction, not wanting to harm anybody. Again, having a sense of moral principle. Learning about the Dharma. So that you can have Dharma, Dharma lessons in mind when you need them. Years back, after my, my teacher passed away, it was a rough year at the monastery. We had monks coming in from other places wanting to take over the monastery. It was a very difficult time. And throughout the time, though, I was helped by the fact that I could remember certain things that John Fuhring had said. And they suddenly became really alive. These are the principles that you live by. And holding on to those things helped get me, get me through the year and to act as skillfully as I could. So that's a kind of treasure, too, when you've got a good teaching that you can fall back on when things are difficult. Generosity is also a treasure, and discernment. Your ability to see what's skillful and what's not skillful, and to act on that knowledge. All these things are things that we acquire through the practice. And those are things that nobody else can take away. So those are the things you want to focus on, the qualities of mind, the qualities of your actions, because these are your treasures. Out of compassion for the world, we do what we can to help, but we have to realize there are limitations on what we can do. If we focus too much on things that we can't do, we start ignoring the things that we can. And focusing on things for which we are not responsible, we start 
losing our focus on the areas where we are responsible. That keeps focusing our attention back here, back here. And as I would have said, you want to focus on seeing what's skillful, i.e. not killing, not stealing, not having illicit sex, not lying, not speaking divisively, not speaking harshly, not engaging in idle chatter, not giving in to greed, ill will, and wrong view. These are the things that you can choose to either follow or not follow, and they are within your power. It's interesting that when the Buddha talks about good actions, he never talks about establishing justice. He says acting skillfully. Some people have complained that Buddhism lacks a theory of justice, and maybe it should be added, but then you start talking about just wars and just this and just that, and it becomes an excuse for all kinds of things. Because when we talk about justice, what are we talking about? We're talking about a story that has a definite beginning and a definite end. And you want to sort out, well, who, who started the trouble? That's the culpable party. Or who did the most evil? That's culpable. Those are the people you want to punish, and they're the people you want to protect. So that you can arrive at a just resolution. Well, the problem is in Buddhism, as we mentioned yesterday, there is no closure except for nirvana. At the same time, there's no discernible beginning. The Buddha said, even if you could think about a beginning point and you can't find it, you can't even conceive the beginning. The story goes back that far. And so when you can't establish the beginning of the story, it gets, gets more and more difficult to figure out, well, who is the culpable party? Who is at blame? Things just go back and forth. It's like a mud fight that's been going on for a long time. And the question about who, who over time has slung the most mud at the other side becomes meaningless. There's a story about Somdet Do, a famous monk in the 19th century in Thailand. A young monk came to him one evening and complained about another monk who had just come up and hit him over the head. And Somdet Do looked at him and said, well, you hit him first. And the other monk said, no, I didn't do anything at all. I've been perfectly innocent. He just came and hit me. Some dead dog kept saying, you hit him first. The younger monk got upset, went to some dead dog superior, who must have been the supreme patriarch, because some dead's a pretty high title. So the next time they had an opportunity to meet, the supreme patriarch asked him, okay, what did you mean about this issue with the young monk? And some dead dog said, well, it's karma. If he hadn't hit the other monk sometime in the past, maybe in the past lifetime, then the other monk wouldn't have hit him this time. Of course, you think about that, and well, who, who hit who, whom first? It just goes back and back and back. So instead of trying to arrive at a just solution of things, you try to arrive at a skillful way of approaching whatever the problem is, a compassionate way of method that is, or approach that is motivated by goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy. In other words, how you go about things is important. The ends never justify the means, because it's all means. There are no final ends aside from, from aside from nirvana. And even that is not always just. We think well, karma is going to work things out, so everyone eventually will get their just rewards or just punishments. 
But the Buddha never talks about people deserving to suffer. Actions lead to certain consequences, but how those consequences are felt are going to be determined by the state of the mind at that point as well. We all know the story of Angulimala. He killed all those people, but then he became an arahant, which meant that he was avoiding a lot of suffering. And we all like Angulimala. If we're looking at it from Angulimala's side, it's a great story. We don't have to cash in all our chips or have everything tallied up for us before we're allowed out. But you can imagine the people whose relatives were killed by Angulimala. They felt he was getting away with murder, and he was. It seemed unjust. So karma is not always just. But notice what the Buddha did. He taught this person who had a lot of bad karma how not to create any more bad karma and to basically get out of the feeding system. That was a gift. So as we began to realize this mud fight going back and forth, what we're doing is getting ourselves out of the mud fight and showing other people that they too can get out of the mud fight as well. We don't have to tally up the scores, how much mud got slung. And in getting out, we don't just drop things and run. To get out requires generosity and virtue. It requires developing attitudes of goodwill and compassion. And we're free to do that. Now, how many people will do that and what shape the world will be in? The Buddha was not responsible for that. <clears throat> he was asked one time, is the whole world eventually going to gain awakening, or a half or a third? And he didn't answer the question. <clears throat> Ananda, who was sitting in on the conversation, was concerned that the person who asked the question might get upset. So he takes the person aside and he gives an analogy. He says, suppose there's a wise, intelligent gatekeeper at a fortress. And the fortress has a single gate. And the gatekeeper walks around the fortress and sees there's not a hole big enough for anybody to slip through, not even a cat, aside from that one gate. And he's not going to know how many people are going to go in and out of the fortress, but he does know that whoever's going to go in and out of the fortress goes by the gate. In the same way, the Buddha didn't concern himself with how many people were going to follow his way. But what he does know is that his way was the only way in and out. So we're not here to establish a paradise on earth or to see that justice gets done. We're here to act as skillfully and with as much compassion as possible. In developing all the Brahmaviharas, goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, but also equanimity. So don't get worked up about things that we can't change. <clears throat> that gives us more energy to work on the things that we can. This is why we train the mind.